0: Let's talk about the plague of pornography for just a minute. Wow, this is one of the biggest issues that so many deal with in these latter days, but few talk about it or even know how to talk about it. And when they do talk about it, it's usually in a private setting with a leader who is expected to know how to navigate struggles with pornography. Thankfully, Leading Saints has put together a remarkable resource called Liberating Saints. It's a virtual library with 25 plus presentations focused on helping leaders be better prepared to help someone overcome struggles with pornography. We cover topics like how to minimize shame in the bishop's office, how to talk with children about pornography, and even how to talk about female pornography use in relief society. If you'd like to review the Liberating Saints library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org/14. That's leadingsaints.org/14. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership-related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit LeadingSaints.org. Today I get to interview one of the co-authors of Trust and Inspire, how Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others, which uh, just hit the Wall Street Journal bestselling list. David Casperson, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Hello, glad to be here. Now, this is, uh, this is a little bit awkward for me, I must admit, because uh, we're mission buddies. And somehow we both uh, succeeded in the world of leadership, but uh, your book's in airports and... My mom listens to my podcast. So, <laughs> did you tell your mom about my book? I did. Yeah. She's halfway through, I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is crazy because there we were just two punk kids, Elder Casperson and Elder Frankham in Sacramento, California. And uh, did you think you'd write a book someday or help write a book? that... I
1: mean, I thought you would, uh, <laughs> but no, I, you know, it's interesting. I, it's funny. I, I was, was really, um, envious of people who had like career plans, you know, as the missionaries <laughs> and they kind of knew what yeah, they wanted to do. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was excited that we planned a week, <laughs> you know, ahead of time. Uh, but no, had no idea that this was the direction we'd go. Um, great thing about a mission though, you, you spend time at a point in most people's life where they, they, they aren't worrying about like things of eternal <laughs> consequence. Right. You know, that's not, that's not on most people's uh, plates. You're just trying to figure out how to, get things going and i think doing that and uh kind of changed my perspective one of having no idea where i wanted to go but um just made it real clear for me how having a an eternal perspective can i don't know Im- impact yeah change things looking back to 20- hindsight's 2020
0: now your name is on here with stephen M. R. covey now for people who hear stephen covey and don't realize that there's two stephen covey's in the world of uh business thought um obviously stephen R. Covey, was that right? Which uh, was, was passed on. He's the Seven Habits Highly Effective People. And then Stephen M. R. Covey is his son. And you get to work with him every day, Stephen Covey. Every day. His protege, would you Yeah, say? well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that, I don't know if I'd use that term or All not, right. but, but yeah. I'm I'm lucky. Uh, yeah, we, we we worked together. I worked on his team for about 16, 17 years and uh, really hand in hand the last 12 uh, or so. And yeah. it's just, it's been incredible. That's cool. It's been an awesome experience.
0: Nice. And so, uh, you know, he re- wrote The Speed of Trust. And is this the, his next, no, there was a, one more book after Speed yeah, of Trust. Yeah, he wrote The
1: Speed of Trust in 2006. Uh, New York Times bestseller went on, did really, really well. I think it's the number one um, book on the topic of trust in the context of leadership in the in the world, published in yeah, 22 awesome. languages, done really, really well. Um, he wrote a follow-on to that book called Smart Trust, that's which right. was more of a, kind of a niche, like go a little bit deeper mm-hmm. into the idea of um, trust and risk and things
0: like that. So, nice, nice. Yeah. So let's jump into just some concepts of this book and, and phenomenal read. Like I, I couldn't recommend it more, just especially like the brand new leader who's like, all right, where do I begin? I've been that leader, believe it or not, right? <clears throat> where I just, you just need a starting point. Like how do I begin to lead in a way that is actually uh, something I can think through and apply in a day-to-day manner? Um, so you, basically the premise of it is dealing with uh, command and control versus trust and inspire type. And these are two, two styles of leadership. So give us a breakdown of what, when, when we consider command and control type of leadership, I mean, obviously it's, it is what it is, but uh, how would you break it down and how do we misunderstand it at times?
1: Yeah. So the reason we use the term command and control, um, it has kind of a connotation for most people. You you say that it sounds kind of like a heavy handed approach yeah. um, to leadership, which is tyrannical. Right? Yeah, yeah, it can be, um, you know, if, if are. This style of leadership, which the data shows nine out of ten organizations are still using to this day and some variation, and that variation, by the way, is, is important. I'll hit that in a second. But um, flows out of the industrial age, where you know the idea was that what leadership meant was getting work done or getting things done through people, which is not a you know that doesn't sound like a negative thing yeah. um, or, or a bad thing, and it's not. But in the industrial age, what they needed people to do was mostly. Manual labor types of things, physical kinds of things, where the idea was we need people to work as fast and as efficiently as possible, and so let's find what levers we can pull and what what buttons we can push to make that happen, which gave rise to kind of the carrot and stick um, approach to leading people. Mm-hmm. You know, probably more stick in the beginning, uh, and as time's gone on, more more of the carrot side of things. So we kind of started there. Um, you know the industrial revolution. That's progressed. We've made a ton of progress um, in this, and we've brought more emotional intelligence to it, more benevolence, more kindness, um, human resources kind of thinking where we're we're recognizing um, that you know people have needs outside of just transactionally doing a job for a check um, or something like that. Um, but for all of our progress uh, today, most organizations are still kind of in this. Positional authority kind of viewpoint um, on it when it comes to leading people and yeah. in in the church and in the gospel setting, obviously it's not we're not trying to get people to pull levers, but we are trying to help people align their lives to gospel principles that that we know and believe will bring them happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is as much as people do. Um, they've also got to figure out what they're doing and why they're doing it. So we we set up this system, this approach, where we try to move people kind of along a certain pathway, and we've been given you know commandments and kind of guidelines. And um, it's very easy, uh, in a sense, to be obedient or, or compliant to a lot of those yeah. things. And yet not grow spiritually yeah um, and that's i think are our, our, the biggest challenge facing um anybody in a, in a spiritual sense members of the church included today is how do we help people move past the outward obedience kind of stuff which is again we, we need that yeah it's important but, but, mm-hmm. but how do we help people transcend that to where the reason they're doing the things that they're doing with regard to a calling or a neighbor or a friend uh is with the right um, both the right style and the right intent. I think the intent is, especially in the church, pretty much a given people yeah. are wanting to do good things, but sometimes our style or how we will do it, um, can get in the way of our intent. And so yeah. this, this move from command and control where, where we've progressed, what, what we call it is that most leaders and organizations right now are stuck in what we would define as enlightened command and control. Um, which again, is a, it's a, it's a good thing. It's a yeah. positive thing. Um, I don't want to have any sinister connotation. It just lacks the the power to really create personal change or help create conditions where people can change themselves yeah. it's it's if you look at it as a continuum, it's more kind of trying to move up to a more complete, more relevant, more useful approach to people and leadership um, than what we've been doing
0: yeah. uh, in the past. And we'd like to think that, you know, there was obviously there's stored gospel, the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, an inspired institution. We'd like to think it's, uh, you know, free from these concepts of command and control that we just come together and, you know, love each other and we go out and serve. And, uh, but I think we've all experienced e- even leadership within the church that was felt very command and control. And I love this, this uh, contrast of obedience and and being inspired where, you know, sometimes we go and we, you know, visit a ministering family because we want to be obedient and the, you know, the elders corn presence sort of on our case. So we go do it, but we'd much rather have people that go and visit and love people because they feel inspired to do so. Right. They want to be that type of person, even though obedience is still a crucial point.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I remember home teaching Um, as a 14-year-old with my dad, home teaching back in the day. Back in the day. Um, And, you know, it it was great. I I had a good experience. We had these families that we really cared about. Um, But I remember there were months and there were times where the reason we got out that month is because I was afraid of not getting out that month. And so sometimes, even with the best of intentions, the thing that can drive our behavior is we're trying to avoid or move away from something Mm -hmm. instead of trying to move to um, something, I think you can see this growth and this progress um, in the church as well as anywhere else. So home teaching is a great example. I would I would classify home teaching under an enlightened command and control kind of approach. Yeah, because what it does, um, you can you can be a hundred percent home teacher, and not be having great spiritual growth or be be doing what we describe doing yeah. and ministering, but you could still check all the boxes and do all the things. Yeah. In fact, I I remember, um, I was an elders quorum president in a, in a ward when I was in my twenties. And I remember <laughs> looking at, you know, I felt like my, my job, my responsibility was to drive home teaching numbers, not so that they looked good, but I, I genuinely felt like, you know, the num- numbers, the thing we measure that indicates some level yeah. of spiritual health and things that are going on. <laughs> and I remember my wife would, would tell me about, uh, the kind of stuff that I'm doing air quotes counted for visiting teaching. And I thought, oh, yeah, no, you, you, okay, you're going to pass cookies off and count that as, as visiting. <laughs> yeah, write a letter,
0: right? You can't write a letter.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember at the time thinking, all you that, know, this is kind of a, a cop out, but. But it's interesting. I'll I'll bet there were a lot more experiences where people were visit taught and had something dropped off at their doorstep, where they felt more cared about than they did when Brother Casperson shows up on the thirty first at seven thirty <laughs> in the evening, yeah. so that we can say, oh, I, yeah, yeah, I, I I did it. I followed. Yeah, and
0: I along. I appreciate this concept of enlightened command and control because again, we've we've probably experienced a really heavy command and control leader that's like you know the guilt trip lessons always on our case. You can tell he's mainly you know, pushing numbers because he wants to look good rather than, you know, creating a positive experience. But I think what's really crucial about this is recognizing those with the best intentions who are are striving to be good and loving leaders can still fall in this command and control arena, but it's enlightened command and control. Like, Home teaching, or you know, let's let's just do these things, and and it's, there's sort of this this prodding or whatnot, but it's not heavy, but that always comes back to like, well, couldn't we be doing more and whatnot? But how how would you break down further, just enlightened command and control that we may be missing?
1: Yeah, so consider the idea of I mentioned that if you take command and control and add a bunch of kindness and benevolence to it, um, you know, I had, I'm sure you did too. Had missionary uh, companions or leaders, or have had leaders in the church who, you know, they take their role. Very seriously. They, uh-huh. I mean, it's a calling and yeah. they've accepted that and they view it that way. And so sometimes, in our effort to fulfill our calling or our stewardship, um, we might over focus on the program uh-huh. um, and the, the processes because they're, those are things that are supposed to work um, at the expense sometimes of of people. Like Um, we
0: don't want the ball to be dropped. We just need this activity to come together. I I know two, you know, less active families coming. We've got to make make this work. And so then you're micromanaging and hovering and commanding and controlling. Yeah, I
1: remember you talked one time about uh, Stephen R. Covey's book, The Divine Center. And in that he gives-
0: Awesome book. I love it. Thanks to you. You recommended it to me. I did recommend that to you. It's fantastic.
1: In that book, he talks about uh, the role of the church is to be more of like- scaffolding to building the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. you know, and he gives he shares a story that, you know, he would describe as being command and control as well, where it's time to get ready for church. And in the effort of getting to church where we can grow in our faith and we can partake of the sacrament <laughs> and be reverent, we are just yelling at our kids to get out the door. Why didn't somebody do this? Hurry up, get in the car. This never happens in, <laughs> in my house. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, we're, yeah. what we're doing is we're stepping on our most important responsibility and stepping over that in order to do the outward things that yeah. we've got to do. And so the the biggest challenge with enlightened command and control is that most of the time, the people who, which is all of us, most of the time when we're doing it, we feel like we're justified um, or, or might not even see that, that we're missing something, um, you know, in the, in the process of, mm-hmm. of leading that way, because again, all the outward signs show, Hey, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. Some, sometimes we feel this what we might describe as the most righteous indignation. Yeah. Um, That's especially what
0: as we term we, came to mind. Yeah, yeah. We
1: we look at sometimes you look in a in a marriage in a relationship and you might be trying to do your best to you know keep your covenants and follow the gospel and do all the things that you've again covenanted to do and maybe from your perspective your spouse is not on the same page with you mm. and so what happens is instead of taking an approach that again the your models really well, we start to feel concerned um, and we start to feel like kind of this sense of fear enter in about, well, how do I talk about this with somebody? And you see this especially going on right now um, with, you know, LGBT, LGBTQ plus um, concerns or people leaving the church or other kinds of things where somebody's path, where they've been on the same path for a long time and it starts to diverge um, as somebody's either learned something about themselves or they've learned something that's caused them to have a concern or some other thing. And in our efforts to try and hold them tighter, um, so that they don't fall, we end up suffocating their ability to growth yeah. or yeah. their ability to grow, um, command and control will do a great job, um, at holding people, uh, on a particular line, but it's not the best way to help people become who they were sent here to become and figure yeah. out the things about themselves they need to learn.
0: And so again, this gives, I think a lot of leaders listening to this, they, you can't just say, well, I'm not a tyrant, you know, I'm not, I'm not mean, therefore I'm not in command and control. Like with the best intentions, you can be in and like command and control. And the hope is that we can consider some other ways like trust and inspire to yeah. to move away from that. And so um, maybe break down trust and inspire, like generally speaking, what what does that look like? Yeah, uh, let me that give you that style of leadership. Let me
1: give you just a little bit more of a framing for this too, because one okay. of the things you just said is really helpful. Um, because a lot of people have had an experience where they've worked with, been raised by, been around a command and control leader, and they have decided very clearly that. I'm not going to be. That that was not a positive experience. Exactly. That's, I'm not going to repeat that. That's not what I'm going to do. (laughs) They see this very kind of heavy handed, very hands-on type of approach. And so sometimes they'll swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. And instead of being hands-on, they'll go hands-off. And then you've got kind of this laissez-faire free range parenting kind of thing where they're not being a command and control leader or parent or person, but they're also not really leading. Yeah.
0: Um, There's like no boundaries, no guardrails. Yeah. It's just, you know, commandments. Oh, okay. Maybe we'll consider that sometime, but it's yeah, it, just laissez-faire. You, you, right? you
1: can do that on the back of things like free agency, for example, yeah. and say, look, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving my teenager free agency to make, make their own calls. Well, that's true to an extent, but we also have to lead mm-hmm. in, in the process. And so to give you maybe a, a feel for trust and inspire, um, there are there's a reason that the name of the book is not um, trust and inspiration. Those are those are both nouns. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of outcomes and things that we tend to go for. The reason it's called trust and inspire is those are meant to be action words. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you've had an experience with a trust inspire leader, it's because they have done those things. They have been trusting. They have been inspiring. You can look back on the experiences and what those kinds of things have done for you. So um, when we speak with audiences or work with clients on this, one of the questions that we'll ask is, can you identify a leader that you've worked with? Somebody who's who's had an influence on you, somebody who who you've had some sort of engagement. It could be, again, in a religious setting. It could be a coach. It could be a parent. It could be a coworker, a boss, where they have been Kind of this kind of leader that we're talking about, where they have believed in you, where they've taken a chance on you, where they've seen some level of potential in you that you may not have seen in yourself. So the subtitle of the book is "How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others." And a trust-inspired leader kind of has this paradigm from the start that there is greatness in hmm. others. So you have to start with that assumption, recognizing, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's not just an intellectual acceptance of the assumption. So, okay. so any member of the church, for example. I mean, we've been singing "I am a child of God." Yeah, from you know as long as we could sing. Yeah, um, and so we we tend to kind of grasp that intellectually really really well. Um, and I, this thing I mentioned earlier about our style getting in the way of our intent. So our intent is is this understanding, this intellectual appreciation that we are children of God, mm-hmm. um, and that there is greatness inside you know, each of us. Certainly, we we want to feel that about ourselves. And you look at your children, you 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 will know if you look at them in a good moment, you recognize, you kind of feel. In awe, overwhelmed almost sometimes, you recognize how much potential uh, there is in them. Um, yet when our children do something that we maybe disagree with or that we've taught them not to do or that w- the ramifications of those actions will cost us a lot of money or time or frustration, <laughs> yeah. what we do is we tend to forget that there is greatness in them. We stop treating them with the dignity and the respect and the honor. um, And we go command and control. We recognize more clearly than than ever our position, um, our level of authority, and we grab onto that to try Mm -hmm. to solve a problem. I've always loved the um, quote, I think this was Thomas S. Monson who said, uh, you know, never let a problem to be solved be more important than a person to be loved. Mm
0: -hmm. And we do that all the time it's almost in our like our natural man nature right like yeah, that's we, yeah
1: again we as 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 a leader in our home or as a leader in our calling we have a vision for the way things should go
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and it's very easy when things don't go according to plan to kind of revert back to this well i'm in charge and so i've got to be decisive and i've got to be active and i've got to you know take care of things and handle things yeah um so we we tend to slip uh, into that. But if you think to the experience where somebody extended trust to you and somebody believed in you, um, and you think about what that did for you, for most people, when they look at that, they'll see a couple of things. One, if they look at the circumstances, it was probably at a time where logically it might not have made sense mm-hmm. to extend trust to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you look at what happened with Joseph Smith. We love to recount that story and describe He's a 14 year old boy it defies logic the way that that all went down but the lord sees what we're capable of and he knows what potential we have inside of us and and great leaders do the same they they not just have an appreciation of the fact that there's greatness inside of inside of others they see it and mm-hmm. they feel it and if you really really buy into that you can't with integrity operate outside of your own paradigm or your own belief. Um, and so what that means is that if I'm going all command and control, it means that my paradigm is allowing for that. You know, I mm-hmm. I would never walk into um, a setting with a general authority and start being, you know a command and control parent in that setting. It, it would keep me on my best behavior because my paradigm of who they are is so clear that it guides my actions. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you right now, as a parent, my paradigm of who my children are at my worst moments, my paradigm shifts to, I'm in charge, I need to do something about this, and I lose track of the greatness that is inside of them. Yeah. And, I, and I say this with a level of... Um, hopefully a level of humility and a level of self-awareness because um, i'm not perfect at this by any means either yeah. but i also know times where i've caught myself or i've i've had something hit me you know beforehand that's reminded me of of who i am in relationship to them mm-hmm. or who i am in relationship to my calling or the people that i serve and when that happens it totally changes how you see other people's you know, behavior, if you get the chance to look at somebody, for example, who's struggling with addiction and you see them really with this paradigm and you see them through the Lord's eyes, the way you approach that problem becomes completely different than if you see them and think, oh, that's not surprising that they're, they're doing this again or other kinds of, you see them with that level of, um, real honesty and that changes the way everything looks to you and trust and inspire leaders, see people like this all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's not easy to do that, but man, it changes the game. Yeah.
0: It's worth going down that journey and, and trying to figure that it's very sanctifying. I mean, we will become more like God on this path. And and I love the, you know, it's a paradigm shift. That's very Covey esque, right? Um, <laughs> that instead of worrying about what's getting done, you're worrying about who is this person and from Who am I leading the, and I want to know them so clearly and treat them as they are, which is a, a remarkable creation of God that. I can trust them, right? And so, when you say like trust and inspire, like <clears throat> when it comes between a leader and the person they're leading, like what does it mean? Like, what are we doing to trust them? Is that just giving them, you know, trusting them to to do certain things, or how? how like, when, yeah. when we begin to trust and inspire this individual, what is that? Well, so like let's
1: or? go back to the let's go back to the idea of trust being a verb, because sometimes when we think of <laughs> trust as a noun, um, you know, if, if somebody asks you about you know, somebody that you serve or have a relationship with, you'll say, yeah, I trust that person because you have a, you have a feeling of trust for them. You
0: have a positive yeah. relationship. Um, they're not going to rob me. They're, yeah. they're, uh, they'll, they'll act in the best intentions towards me and right now. Right. Yeah. When we're
1: talking about this in the context of trust, inspire trust is both a verb and not just a verb, but a, a, a an explicitly action oriented verb. I know all verbs are action oriented, (laughs) but (laughs) but it's not just that I have a trusting disposition towards somebody. It's that I am engaged in the act of giving them trust. Hmm. Not just that I feel confidence in them, but that I am trusting them and that I'm communicating to them that I'm trusting them. So, so the three areas that we look at trusting is kind of a subset of skills or or ways of you know. So, what do you do? Um, the first two are kind of how, and it's when we extend trust to somebody, we make sure that the expectations are clear with them. Uh, those are, by the way, mutually clarified expectations, not dictated expectations. Mm-hmm. Clear expectations and a mutually agreed upon process of accountability. Clear expectations and a process of accountability. Um, those are key uh, in any circumstance where you're extending trust, because there's, the, there's risk to trusting people. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes sense, there's risk for them as well. Uh, and when you do this, you wanna set people up to win. The, the third component though, that's kind of an overarching umbrella is the intent with, with which we extend trust. Most people, when they extend trust, we think well i'm going to trust somebody one because i i need them to do something there's something i need done and i do trust them and so i'm going to tell them that i trust them and that will mean something to them to be trusted is the most inspiring form of motivation mm-hmm. and so they feel that and they tend to respond to that but again a lot of times when we trust somebody there's there's something in it that, that's in it for us again otherwise there wouldn't be as much risk for us mm-hmm. The key here in this context that we're talking about is that when we extend trust to other people, we've gotta have a very clear intent that we're doing so in order to help them grow. Mm-hmm. We're doing so in order to help them succeed. Not just because we need a result, but that we see part of that result as their actual growth. Yeah. And a lot of times when trusting goes bad, it's because we needed the result. We really needed the result. And we needed the person that we trusted to be a means to that end. Um, and when we look at it that way, we might get a result, but it limits the person's ability to grow. Um, yeah, Maybe we kind of backseat drove or micromanaged in the process. You know, our words might say, I trust you, but then the net effect of our behavior, um, if we're not focused on mm-hmm. their growth, <clears throat> tends to circle back to things like micromanagement, overchecking in, um, stuff like that. Yeah. So when we talk about trusting, we, we've got to do a really good job at so let's, let's
0: try something. I'm, I'm good at asking impossible questions. So I'm going to back you into the corner here and see if you can w- wiggle your way out. So let's imagine you're in a Bishop break. You're extending a call to, um, an individual, um, maybe as a new uh, relief society president or teaching the youth Sunday school or whatnot. Like what would some of these phrases look like as you walk in there thinking, I'm going to be a trust inspire leader in this, this context. Um, you know, cause there's a level of accountability and expectation here. So sure. what are some phrases that maybe you would use in that, in that uh, context?
1: Yeah. Let me give you a couple of contrasts to look at this. So what I would not recommend doing is saying things like, um, you, know, you, you don't want to understate the the importance of it or the, or the gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes when people extend significant trust, they they'll be a little bit heavy handed with it. You know, the lord's going to expect a lot from you hmm. um you know, yeah th- things we've, that-
0: we've prayed about this and fasted and we feel like you're the person and so but in a way we're saying don't muff it you know <laughs> it, totally totally
1: the the idea is if we're saying or doing anything where the intent of our words is to change anything about them or their approach that's being manipulative yeah um even with the best of intentions um that's 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 not going to help them grow or succeed um, if you are extending trust, this is a, this is good news. If if you if you you know you've come to the conclusion that this person is the right person for this, you feel strongly about that. A um, couple of things got to happen. One, um, you really need to trust where the calling came from in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if you have confidence in that, that makes your job a whole lot easier um, because. If that's the case, your job is to express confidence in that person, express affirmation um, in them. Uh, As it comes to clarifying expectations, um, I've never called a Relief Society president (laughs) um, because I've never been in a bishopric. And then after this podcast, I'm sure that will not change. Um, (laughs) But you've got to clarify expectations in a sense that they know not just what they're responsible to do, but the kinds of things that will allow them to succeed. And that, mm-hmm. sound, that, that might might sound kind of like the same thing, but let me add the the other piece to it. When part part of that's gonna be what you're showing up with, cause they're gonna ask you, hey, what, what am I supposed to be doing here? You share some things. I would probably couch it up. Um, in the most simple way possible, you know, in the in the Seven Habits and in Trust and Inspire. Um, in Seven Habits, Stephen R. Covey tells a story about green and clean, son taking yeah. care of the lawn and stuff. Um, and in Trust and Inspire, Stephen Mr tells the same story, but from his perspective, because he was the seven-year-old boy mm-hmm. um, in that story. And his dad, the leader who was giving him the responsibility, it's a really good uh, metaphor for this conversation, but he had all sorts of things that he knows need to be done to take care of the lawn and to make it green and clean. He could give you a list of 15 things that you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. you've got to do this you've got to do this and that could be overwhelming Mm -hmm. what he did in that scenario was he broke it down into just two basic things it's got to be green and got to be clean how you get to that point is up to you i'm happy to give you some ways that i do it but you don't have to do it that way and so he's offering approaches the 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 principle is you can't hold people accountable to results when you supervise or dictate their methods Um, if it really is her calling the opportunity will be given to her To figure out how to do those things and again we're also not moving from command and control to abdicate and abandon they still need help and they still need direction but that looks a lot more helpful than it does dictative yeah and so so for taking care of the lawn it was look the the goal here is green and clean here's how you can do this for the release society present, this might show my ignorance showing through but the goal is um there's two great commandments yeah love god and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, those are those, those, if we've done those two things, that'll help us be the most successful. How we go about doing that, boy, there's just lots of great stuff in the handbook. I don't expect you to know that in, a, in you know, right, right. In, inside the immediate future. There's lots of things we can talk about helping, but the, the goal is love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. And and not just that you feel those things, but that that's what they experience. Back to this question about, about trust, sometimes people will will extend trust to another person and the person feels like they're given the responsibility. Let me, in fact, I'll differentiate between trust and delegation. Yeah. Um, because trust includes delegation, but you can delegate somebody without extending trust to them. Um, So if you delegate a responsibility to somebody without extending trust, you're saying, hey, this is your job, this is your ownership, and what they're receiving the job, the delegation, but they might not feel trusted, and this is why again this is an action verb. You've got to communicate what you're doing. It's that I'm trusting you. Now again, even to that approach, a lot of times people will do that with a heavy hand and say, you "No, know, I'm trusting you," and so you know, I really need you to deliver on this. As opposed to, I'm trusting you because you can do this.
0: Mm-hmm. I have
1: confidence in you. In fact, yeah. forget my confidence the Lord has confidence in you.
0: Yeah. And you're going to do it completely
1: different than I would. And that's how I expect that, you to do it. So, and, and by the go way, it. you're going to make mistakes yeah. in the process of doing this. And that's all part of this. Um, I want you to know, when you make mistakes, you're not violating either my or <laughs> Lord's trust. When you make mistakes, that gives me an opportunity so that we can help figure out maybe what went wrong or, mm-hmm. or what we could do uh, better. But the, that's the kind of growth that's, that's exactly at the heart of why I'm extending trust yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and i you be able to grow.
0: I love, you know, this, cause I think some leaders may listen to this and say, you know, you know, David, listen, I'm, I delegate a lot, you know, I, I'm trusting all the time, you know, I'm delegating this and that. And, and, but it's important to realize that just delegation is, doesn't mean you're trusting or Not you're, at all. you're in this trust and inspire, uh, the pose, right? In fact, most
1: of the time, um, as I, I differentiate a lot of times when we delegate, we're, we're, managing hmm. so it's all contrast management and leadership and we need both by the way Man- and i'm a big believer in management um the problem is when we you know management is for things schedules um processes um policies um all sorts of things to demand good management we have to manage our time we have to manage all sorts of things but when we manage people the way we would manage things one, they don't respond well to it. I mean, use yourself as exhibit A. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes to feel like they're just being moved around the chessboard um, and you know, another box to check. Yeah. Um when you man when you're efficient with people the same way you would be with things, you know, that's that you can I can delegate from a uh, management standpoint. That's no different than setting an alarm on my phone. When I set an alarm on my phone, I'm just delegating yeah, uh, to the, the responsibility of the phone to remember stuff for me. Yeah. But the phone doesn't feel any different about that. That's its job. It does what it's told. Yeah. There's a lot of people who look at leadership and development and growth as, would you just do what I'm asking you to yeah. do? Yeah. I mean,
0: gosh, that's all. This, is, this, is, this doesn't have to be difficult and you're making it difficult. No, it, right. but it's it's not yeah. an extension.
1: It's right. not an ex- a meaningful extension of trust because it doesn't revolve around that that person's growth at the same time. Yeah. So we have to get the result that we're looking for, but we also have to grow people in the process. And I would far rather fail and miss the result at the expense of the person's growth then get the result and have the person not grow in the process yeah the person's res- the person's growth is as important part of the result as any other part in fact it's
0: i think the most significant part and, and that this is a like such a minor um ex- experience that happens over and over and over again and then when we in 10 years down the road we look back and we think why is it the culture so off here? <laughs> you know and we because and culture so elusive like there's no like formula to fix culture after a weekend because it's built of these just these little things of like I just want a result, not not yeah. growth. But if you focus on growth, then ten years later, you know, ten months later, suddenly, man, this ward just is jiving. You know, well, like look, we're just moving.
1: Look what we're doing now. I mean, th- th- this transition of home teaching to ministering mm-hmm. is to me moving from an enlightened form of command and control, which is again good and it's pr- produced just extraordinary things, to something. Better and it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not an improvement by degree. It's different in kind. It's a whole new level because of the condition that creates for that growth to occur.
0: Um, And there's some leaders that still want to hold on to that enlightened command and control in the context of ministry. And it's and and it just doesn't. Well, part of the problem
1: problem is that it's easier. Yeah. Um, you You look at like when you and I were missionaries. You know, we the discussions that we had. There were six. There were six discussions, and they were wrote word for word, and the words came from a prophet. Yeah. So, what better words could we use to communicate the yeah. gospel? And to I just had, to,
0: especially learning Spanish, I just had to memorize these words. I didn't know what half of them meant, but oh, I could it's, recite them it's off, beautiful. and I could teach a first discussion. Right? You know? Totally.
1: Yeah. There, there's there's comfort um, in that.
0: Uh, it's a
1: lot easier. You're, you're mitigating risk by well, what what could what could happen if these. 19-year-old kids go off the rails and say the wrong thing. So let's let's just program everything they're saying. Now, again, I don't think the intent of the, the discussions was to contain people. I think it was to be guardrails to help them yeah. kind of follow this path. The challenge is, what if we change the question? What if it's not, uh, I mean, what if these 19-year-olds start saying their own stuff? We change this to, what if these 19-year-olds start saying their own stuff what if what if they're able to <laughs> yeah. actually bear real meaningful testimony and again not that we weren't able to do that before i had a meaningful experience as a missionary doing doing it this this way it is better now by an order of magnitude than it was before yeah. same thing i think with the 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 change to um uh come follow me um the the shift in in how we learn the gospel and how we're growing where it's you know it, it was never explicitly said that it's church-centered home supported mm-hmm. um before but that's where i got a lot of yeah, my it
0: was sort of almost growth. assumed yeah, you know,
1: this is, yeah that's why why else would you go to church <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> yeah. why we're there um but then we figure out that the limitation of that over time becomes people who are you know sunday members of the church and they might be active, but not necessarily converted. Yeah. And so th- th- that's another distinction I would give. The enlightened command and control might be activity or being active, which is a good thing. And it can lead to conversion. And there's lots of active people who are converted. I also worry there's a lot of active people who aren't converted. Yeah. Um, and so the trust inspired piece is moving to where the focus is less on activity and more on conversion. And so come follow me as, you know, the the I remember, I think it was 2018 that the first, Um, come follow me manual came out and I think it's like right in the first sentence or the first paragraph it says the goal is conversion what if it said the goal is compliance (laughs) (laughs) how different how different would that look if that was the case now again it's, it's never explicitly been that but the problem is absent the growth we slip into and take great comfort in compliance.
0: Yeah, um, and I would say, as human beings, we just want to we want to do things the right way. Like, am I doing it right? I feel like I'm off. And so, just give me some compliance so that that I know I'm doing it totally. right. So, and then over time, we realize, oh, we're only tri- striving for compliance and and not anything else. Yeah, that
1: that that part though, where we're kind of in the woods and not sure what we're doing. Yeah, that's where we're growing. Yeah, that's where we're reaching through the mists of darkness to try to find the iron rod. Yeah, I it most of us are not clinging to it our entire lives um we also weren't meant to be chained to it and i I, you know i think about the and you look at trust inspire compared to command and control the two plans were presented in the beginning and one of them was hey we're not going to lose anybody we're going to have absolute results absolute performance compliance heavy right totally but but again also results heavy we we get the end goal is that we don't lose anybody now Obviously that's not the plan that was 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 gone with because what needs to happen while we're here is not just that we mm-hmm. don't get lost, mm-hmm. but it's that we find who we are. We yeah. find who the Lord is, um, that we learn the things that we need to learn. And that doesn't always happen when it's sunshine and roses and and you know, no um challenges or difficulty. You know, the savior was a man of sorrows. Um that doesn't mean he didn't experience great joy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, we talked about this in, in Sunday um, that you know the difference between entertainment or fun and joy. And you know, it wasn't said you know men are that they might have a good time. Um, we're supposed to grow, and a lot of times our happiest and most joyful experiences come from the toil, from the struggle, from mm-hmm. um, that environment, the challenges. And I'll tell you this right right now: as a parent of three. Oh man, I don't want my kids to struggle. I don't want to see them hurt or suffer, but you know where they grow the most is through that struggle. struggle. The other challenge is (laughs) though, I don't want to give them unnecessary struggle. And sometimes (laughs) in our, our intent to, to keep them from making some huge mistake, we contain people and again all out of all out of love Mm -hmm. um but we limit their ability to grow so you know again as you talk about being you know a new bishop extending a calling to somebody else extending trust part of this is the 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 confidence that that they can grow and will do with this and if they don't lord will provide a way
0: yeah Yeah. it'll be okay you know, I love, the, you know, just sort of wrapping up this concept of uh, delegation and also extending callings, which, you know, are kind of similar things The the, I love how you referenced the green and clean story. That would be a great, um, you know, a, a parable you could, you could call it to, for a bishopric to sit with and say, when we invite people, like just seeing how Stephen Gavi C- Sr. approached that with, I'm just going to give them two words just two expectations simple and then i'm going to trust him with everything to figure out all everything else and and you know you boiled it down in the release side maybe two concepts that they could do but you know if, just going through that exercise of saying as i extend this this calling what are what are the two things that we really expect of him i think the problem isn't that, that i think the main problem is we don't give him anything it's sort of like will you be the elders corn brother they're like sure all right, we'll set you apart on Sunday, and it's like, <laughs> well, wait a minute. Like, what do you expect of me? Like, that is such a crucial. No, 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 I don't want to
1: micromanage you. You just,
0: yeah, right, yeah, and then we we hands off leadership, <laughs> right? Like, just have fun, just love the elders, and uh, yeah, that's it. Well, okay, and then we show up on you know Sunday, and we don't know what to do because that expectation hasn't been been put in place. So, I love that the green and clean is a great place for for leaders to go and and contemplate over. Um, one aspect I want to slip in here is like this dynamic we have, you know, you think of the corporate setting, the CEO, the executive, like, yeah, they're, they can fire me. So they have some authority in our dynamic. It's more of like the authority is like this Holy doctrine. And so there's sort of this hush around it. Like, well, the Bishop holds keys. And so we should probably just do whatever he commands and whatever he wants to control. We should just follow that. Right. And, uh, any, any anything else that we haven't said already that in this context of like in an organization where we have where we feel like an individual actually has divine keys to lead uh, how can we still find that trust and inspire or how can a a, a leader who has those keys still trust and inspire
1: yeah it, it's not you know you just just hit kind of this sometimes taking a hands-off approach if command and control is hands-on, and abdicate and abandon is hands off. Uh, what we're searching for is really hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I love I love the visual of hands on um, because when you think about that, when that when that kind of language hit me for this, I, I envisioned you know being at Disneyland or Walmart or somewhere where you've got a family together and you see a parent where they'll grab their child by the arm and kind of haul them in a, in a direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not what we're doing that's mm-hmm. not what we're that's not what we're going for um hand in hand just evokes a different kind of feel that we're succeeding together there's a sense of care there's a sense of belonging that, that gets created um i love the joseph smith quote that i'm sure everybody who follows you is familiar with is uh you know teach people good principles and let them govern themselves mm-hmm. um getting back to the, the green and clean story he didn't just say hey green and clean Good luck. The lawnmower is in the in the garage. He to go a little bit deeper into this story, what he did was he gave him two weeks of of training. Um, and let me differentiate again, what he didn't do was give him two weeks of programming or conditioning, mm-hmm. um, which again, we're I, I, I love this contrast between. Am I con- am I doing this because I'm conditioned or because I'm converted? The, the outcome of those are two very very different things. But what he did over that time was he he walked him through. He would, he offered to be his helper um, in this process, which you know evokes kind of a sense of servant leadership. Um, he also, uh, after he gave him the responsibility, he waited a period of time. For to do stuff. They, in fact, this goes back to the accountability. What they did when they set up the agreement of, of taking over the job was this, he said, "Okay, um, how will we know we're winning?" Which is you know, the question you asked the Elderscorn president. To yeah. those two things, how do we know we're winning? Well, Green Clean's won, but how can I help you make sure that we're you know on the right track and that we're delivering? And the way he set up accountability they, is they agreed together to walk the yard, you know, once once a week um, and just kind of see how things were going. And during that process, Stephen, as a seven-year-old, would tell his dad how things were going. In fact, we've had clients where they've taken that principle of, of, of for accountability they, and they call it walk the yard. We're going to walk the yard. And mm-hmm. what that means is that I'm coming to you and you're going to let me know what's going on. What do you need help with? How are things going? How do you feel about how things are going not me going to you and saying it's time to walk the yard come here let me show you what uh you yeah. missed here what you missed here it's, again it's a different different approach sometimes when people hear the word accountability um we tend to think oh yeah i, I hold people accountable that's, that's one of the things i'm known for i hold people accountable absolutely better way to look at accountability is that we hold ourselves accountable first and that we help others also hold themselves accountable um, and it's a totally different different approach um, but what happened when he gave him the responsibilities? At first, he did nothing, didn't do anything. Yeah. And he, when he tells the story, he describes, you know, I over the weekend didn't do anything, uh, nothing Saturday, nothing Sunday, and that's fine. Um, hopefully, it's Monday. Maybe he'll do something today. comes back from work on Monday, hasn't done anything, goes to work again. It's Tuesday, it's hot, the yard's just burning up. And he comes home, and again, nothing's been done. There's garbage all over the place. And he finds himself, again, parent of a seven year old, thinking, Oh boy, maybe I gave maybe this was just too much for him to handle. He wanted to take it back and say, you know what, this, this just isn't isn't gonna work. Um, but what he did is he went and talked to the seven-year-old and say, Hey, let's 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 walk the yard. Let's mm-hmm. figure this out. And the seven-year-old had been kind of, you know, Stephen had been avoiding this confrontation the whole time. And he just breaks down and starts crying. Yeah. And he <laughs> says, Dad, it's so hard. He says, Well, what's hard, son? You haven't done one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but having the accountability loom over you or or the fear of of what you've done or not done in the amount of time you should have done, what happened when he actually talked to his father is the same thing that happens to us when we repent. He's not like, <laughs> Yep, knew this is how it was gonna go. I mean, he should know, <laughs> shouldn't <laughs> right. be a surprise. But <laughs> but what we tend to find is an opportunity for us. To figure out where we need to be yeah. and for us to figure out what went wrong just because we're an elders Corn president or a Relief society president may, we may be replacing somebody else sometimes it's challenging because you know if it's a new ward you're kind of starting with a clean slate that's a little bit different but if you're stepping into something that may has may have worked yeah. really well
0: like her yard was a really yard was really green yeah, and clean yeah. exactly <laughs> you
1: start to feel like you've got to step into somebody else's shoes and do what they would do well guess what they were released hmm yeah, they went about, they, they found a way to have love and care and, and a sense of belonging in their calling. But there's a reason that you were put here. You would probably do things different. In fact, you should be doing things different. And they need people need to feel comfort in knowing that if they fail or if they make a mistake, that's part of the process. But most of us, no matter what anybody else says we tend to hold ourselves accountable to this th- this sense of fear or concern because uh, again our experiences in the past that we can't fail or make a mistake you know it's, i mean most of us when we get a a, a, bit, a big calling <laughs> i don't know how it is for you but for me it's not like i feel like ah finally my time has come <laughs> the lord has recognized <laughs> that i'm the right person to do this job it's how am I going to yeah. do this? Yeah. You feel, you know, a, a reverent sense of <laughs> self-doubt or concern. You tend to lose a little bit of faith in the process. But if you can get the right perspective, if you really, again, buy into this idea that there's greatness in people, that I'm a child of God, mm-hmm. it comes with an acceptance that you've got what you need to do this and that you'll figure it out along the way. And, and again, it's, it's easy to give other people that rope, but sometimes it's really hard to give that.
0: Yeah, to ourselves. Yeah. Um, I'd love this, uh, this, you know, this concept of because there's probably leaders listening. Say, you know, David, listen. I, I tried that. I tried the trust and inspire thing. If you were in my ward, you'd understand these people. And you know, we're a volunteer organization. Can you really trust them so far? I mean, they're here voluntarily and and you know, just doing their best and whatnot. So I kind of feel like I, I need to have my fingers in in a lot of things and whatnot. So it just doesn't. It's not going to work for me, right? But I, and going back to that concept of of keys and authority. Like that, just you—you you now have authority to walk the, the walk the yard with them, not to step in and do their job or yeah. tell them how to do it. But you now have this great ministry with them, like the Savior had. But you know how that's—he seems like half more than half the time in his uh, in the Gospels, he's walking, he's walking the yard with his uh, disciples and yeah. and talking through these things, right? And so. Um, Anything else you'd say for the, that leader is just like, no, like I tried this and I, I tell my counselor, I trust him on, on Sunday and he shows up the, the next Tuesday or the next Sunday and he hasn't done anything. And, you know, it's just so frustrating. And I, you know, this, I've already got my day job and I just need to do any, anything you'd add there.
1: Yeah. you know That's, it's a hard way to live. Um, yeah. First off, um, most people who some it's, it's easy for us to slip into the old adage if you want something done right you got to do it yourself mm-hmm. um the problem is then you just don't get stuff done yeah or whatever you think it's, it's or you're the, miserable
0: I, and burnt out yeah
1: miserable and burnt out this <laughs> yeah you know, this was the the lesson that jethro gave to moses yeah you know you've yep. got to you've got to learn how to delegate but but again what we're talking about is you've got to learn how to extend trust it's really hard to do that if your mindset is just as you described it look i i did trust them didn't mm-hmm. work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's not what Stephen's dad said when he did nothing on the lawn. He wanted to say that. it's If it didn't work, it didn't work yet. You're just not to wear... I mean, you, you can't force the growth to happen for somebody else. If you give your counselor responsibility and they drop the ball, they probably know they dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to walk the yard and say, hey, how how could I better support you to make sure to help to help set up because again what we're usually worried about in that in that instance is they drop the ball and so I didn't get the result that I was looking for but if we go back to what we just talked about as big or bigger than any of that is if they drop the ball that's telling me that they're not at the level of growth or haven't grown in or are not there, there's something that they're experiencing for themselves i got to look at them with uh, with a uh, lens of empathy rather than just focusing on the performance or the outcome. Yeah.
0: Um
1: you know and we look at things like activity um and it gets really easy to think well because somebody's not showing up on Sunday, boy what do I get what do I do to get them to church on Sunday? How do mm. I, how do we get them to start showing up? And then we think of things like oh well maybe what we could do is drop by in this day or we could be here. but all the while and those are all good things but the whole time the question we're trying to answer is how do I get them to church? We're asking how do I get them to show some level of outward obedience to something that they might not be inwardly bought into mm-hmm. yet um you know i love the temple um i think one of the scariest things would be to send somebody to the temple who's not converted to that point mm-hmm. or 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 where they'll go and they'll perform the ordinances but they don't feel or experience things this you know they go on prepared mm-hmm. the same thing happens on Sunday when we we take the sacrament um you know for there's a there's a percentage of people in the room who are taking the sacrament and they're having a holy experience mm-hmm. um, they're having extraordinary connection with the Lord with their their testimony and there are some people who are eating bread and drinking a little bit of water um you know there's nothing different about the the bread and the water yet somehow we feel like because they're there that day doing that thing that must be an indicator of of where they're at um yet there are probably a lot of people who are at home in our ward at the same time who might be in a better spiritual position um, than somebody doing that same thing so it's not just about what's being done it's about what is going into that how you know how people are experiencing it and again getting to the point where they're finding meaning um what they're doing.
0: Yeah. And the good news is it's not that we have to abandon positive results by being a trust-inspired leader. We will have remarkable results and beyond our wildest dreams, the you know, the the positive progress we'll have there. It just has to come a different way, more authentic way, more converted way and it's long-lasting.
1: Yeah, what we what we tend to know and the reason that we tend to go command and control is because we are afraid of losing control. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what if I try this and it doesn't work? What if I go down this path and and... All this great stuff that needs to happen doesn't happen um let me maybe put it this way because sometimes stuff like this you know trust inspire that sounds really nice that sounds warm and fuzzy you know um soft (laughs) um but gosh dang it things have to be done sometimes Mm -hmm. you know we need people who are decisive we need we need people who are you know strong who who invoke a sense of, of of significance to the work that they're doing let me put it this way you can be strong without being forceful you can be decisive without being autocratic uh you can be visionary and have vision for your ward or for your your uh group or whoever you're working with without being exclusive or exclusionary about other people's thoughts mm-hmm. or parts of it and worrying about how that might conflict with your way of thinking mm-hmm. uh, and you can have you can be in charge and have a, have control without being controlling. Um, In fact, I would argue that in a trust-inspired and culture, you have far more control than you'll ever have in a command and control culture. And again, the the question is, what are people are going to do when you're not there? Conversion has a lot more predictive quality to it about how people are gonna approach things than does compliance, Mm. Um, than does just simply you know going through the motions or doing the things the problem is we can measure some of the outward things that are happening it's harder to measure um the stuff that's going on uh internally but if our paradigm is that again there's greatness in people that leadership is really stewardship um you know i i've always loved the the doctrine of the eternal family that you know I when I look at my children, I have to reckon I'm calling them my children because you know they, I'm responsible for them, I have a stewardship for them. But it's different if I look at, it, look at them from the standpoint that I have a stewardship for them than it, I do if I have, a, have an ownership of them, that they're, they're mine. Mm-hmm. I, it, it adds a greater sense of gravity and a sense of reverence. When I recognize that I'm being entrusted, so stewardship is a job with a trust. I'm being entrusted with their care. They don't belong to me um in fact they're as much my brother or sister as as anybody else mm-hmm. um and i've been entrusted to help them grow and help them learn i haven't been entrusted to, to to just keep them out of trouble um or to have them follow a, a certain path and do a certain thing it's i i've been entrusted to help them become something not seem something or or do something but to become something yeah and yeah, that's, that's powerful
0: different. and one other aspect that as leaders move towards the stress and inspire style of leadership, you know, it's not command and control. Is all it, like you mentioned. It's easy for the leader. It's just a, sort of a default position. It seems easier, or whatnot. But a lot of times for those we lead, it can be easier. They almost want the command and control. Like you know, Bishop, just tell me what to do. Like, why do we do this? This song and dance and ward council. And you know, you want to you know want us to go out and and have autonomy. And I'll just t- what do you want from me? You know, just tell me and I'll go do it. Right. I want to be a good soldier and and go do that. And so there there can be that resistance that a lot of people who are the followers almost want the command and control because it can seem easier
1: yeah, i love that you say that um it's interesting a lot of our language today comes from military terms you know you talk about like a company that's a military mm-hmm. term being on the front lines that's a military term command and control is a military term yeah. it's not a, there's not a bad connotation to it but we tend to think sometimes about leadership in, in somewhat militaristic yeah. um, views um but even the military. In fact, they've, they've, the military has changed the definition of command and control. I'll give you an, an example of this. So um, oh, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, General Stanley McChrystal. Um, he retired recently, but uh, uh, really well-known um, yeah. in the military. One of the, one of the mantras that he had on his team was, you know, in, in this environment where you're giving orders and people are expect to follow orders and be a good soldier and all of that. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the mantra on their team was, uh, if when you get on the ground – the orders we gave you are not the right orders. Then execute the order we should have given you. Hmm. And so what he's saying is that, yeah, we're, we're going to go into this with a plan. But the outcome we're shooting for is more important than the plan that we built to get there. And you're going to have to make, you're going to have to use your own judgment and make some turns. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of trust that goes with that. It's also a lot of responsibility that comes with that too, because now the now the call's yours. But the reason they're giving you that call is because you've been prepared to do that. You look at like the special forces. In like fact, we've worked with um, General Martin Dempsey, um, uh, who was over the, the over SOCOM and oversaw uh, uh, the uh, raid on Osama bin Laden. And we've talked about trust with with his group and team. And you, know, you look at the the SEALs, and they go through what, like six years of of training. And what they're told is, okay, you guys, uh, you know, there's normal rules of engagement, and then you guys. You just just go out and get the bad guy, and you know, you go out and, and and do your thing. But they're not like saying, "Okay, uh, welcome to the seals. Sign your name down here, so we can get rid of liability, and then go get the bad guy." They take the time to yeah. do the training, to to work with people so that their growth and development is happening. Now, <laughs> there there's, there'll be different. You know, we're not training seals. Um, the the stakes are, are are different. The implications are different. But we've also got to be providing. Our, our kids the people that we serve with in our calling the people in our ward we've got to be providing them with um options that and choices that they can make because as they make those choices and they make mistakes and they fail they'll grow none of us signed up to come here and say no no just tell me what to do yeah. again uh,
0: yeah that was the other plan that that, right?
1: that 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 was the other group that ship has sailed <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're gone he didn't that, get on that track that, that might that might sound nice <laughs> But that's not what we're here for. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's also not what we really want. And if we look at the things that we've done where there's been significance, that's not where we want to go either. I love the, I mean, we talked a lot about trust. The connection to inspiration in this um, is so important um, because people do want to be trusted and that in and of itself is inspiring. But people don't want to just a good job or fulfill a calling or check the box that sounds nice in the beginning but that doesn't last mm-hmm. it's a it's a difference between again success and significance you look at you know somebody who retires lives their whole life does their work most people who retire a lot of people who retire it sounds nice to go play golf all day every day and just just kind of you know waste away but senior missionaries we're probably they probably arrived at a level of success before deciding to go on a mission what they're going for is significance and you know, we start this life we go on this continuum where we start from a position of having to, to we, we start from a position of needing to survive right we've got to find we've got needs that we've got to meet we've got temporal needs we've got stuff it's hard to talk to somebody about significance or really meaningful inspirational things if they're starving um and we know this is part of our, our approach with welfare um it's a continuum and a process. And there's a sequence to this that matters. We move from survival from survive up to thrive where we're actually doing well. Um, and we're picking up speed that moves into a level of success. Um, and we, a lot of us spend our lives kind of imagining that point of envisioning what success looks like only to find out that when we get there, it's not what we hoped it would be. Yeah. Um, what we're going for here is significance. Um, the tragedy is if we wait our whole career thinking, okay, I'll get to significance after I get to success, because and there is there is a continuum here, but we can have significance now. There's, there's no reason to not have that. So when we talk about this idea of tapping into inspiration for people, um, in the church we use the term inspiration to, to a lot of times to denote where we might get direction for something. We felt inspired. We mm-hmm. felt like there was some kind of divine communication. Um, that happens in more than just being told, you know, what to do. We feel inspired when we're doing things that that tie into a sense of meaning or purpose or contribution for us. Um, and the job of a leader, where you can we argue that they leaders have three stewardships. Trusting is one of those, inspiring is one of those. We're, we're saying that if you're a leader, inspiration is your job. It's not just something that might happen or could happen if the stars align, you play your cards right that's a deliverable that's something you're accountable to to be doing Hmm. um again people get burnt out because they they fulfill the calling they do the work but the renewal doesn't come you know the, the spirit and inspiration gives you strength beyond your own normal capacity inspiration is a skill it's an it's it's an ability it's a muscle that we can grow and the most inspiring church leaders are not inspiring because they're charismatic I mean that, that, that mm-hmm. helps, you know, it's not a bad yeah. thing, but we oftentimes equate earthly, you know, somebody being inspirational here as, well, they're, they're charismatic or they've had some great story that, you know, that yeah. they can tell. Um, you know, even think about it, if you invite an inspirational speaker to come do a fireside or something like that, they're coming to tell some powerful story or because they've got the ability to storytell really well. And you watch somebody like that and you think, well, I, I, Can't do that. Yeah, that's not that's not me. I can fulfill my calling, but I'm I'm not an inspirational person. Bottom line is, I've known a lot of very charismatic people who aren't inspiring at all. At the same time, I've known some of the most inspiring people I've known aren't necessarily charismatic. Yeah, in fact, I think to when I think about a trust inspired leader that I worked with, there's a couple of youth leaders in particular that come to mind. They were great people. They didn't inspire me because. They were entertaining or, or or interesting or charismatic they inspired me because they cared about me not just because they cared but because i experienced that care I, I i felt that um and so i think one of the biggest things for especially serving the church where there's you know there's nobody's getting a paycheck to do this we're doing this for meaning yet at the same time we can also do this completely without meaning You look at teaching, for example, one of the most inspiring fields and industries that there is. But forty percent of teachers leave the field after five years. They spend almost all of that time before even starting going through the training to be able to just be able to do that,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and they don't end up not they end up not staying. Why? Because they end up going into a system that takes everything associated with purpose that they were excited about in the beginning, and it just beats them to death. It beats. It beats it all out of them. Ver, you know, the uh, inspire comes from the Latin uh, word inspirare, which means to breathe life into. Um, you know, a lot of times those who are struggling with with their calling or they've got too many things on their family plate, they feel like they're having life sucked out of them. They mm-hmm. feel like church service is not inspiration; it's expiration. Yeah. <laughs> if I if I keep doing this, I cannot burn the candle at both ends. They're not inspired. Yeah. And when that's the case, the worst thing that we can do is leave them there drowning. You know, I, I've been in. I've, I've had times in my life where I've just not had a calling, because as I've communicated and met with my bishop, who, who by the way, isn't just holding interviews with me, because that's what he's supposed to do. He's checking in on me because, and, and I recognize this. Yeah. I recognize a sense of huge caring. He's breathing life into you, right? Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes that looks like a released calling, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Where the where where it can come back in, because, again, go you know, back to some of these great quotes in the church you know no success in life can compensate for failure in the home no success in church service can compensate for failure in the home either Mm -hmm. um and i've had a lot of callings where the calling's been a huge time commitment and it's also helped me in my family because if I'm inspired by what I'm doing and I take that and I apply that. See, sometimes we get inspired by the calling and the people that we serve and these fundamental beliefs of seeing greatness in people. We see those in all the people that we serve and we kind of just hope our family will keep up and maybe our spouse will take care of the, the family stuff. Yeah, while we on the slack. Exactly, while we lose the ability to do those other things. The idea behind inspiration is that I will be made equal to the task. And sometimes it might look like that. Sometimes it might look like my spouse is carrying extra weight. Sometimes it might look like I recognize that my spouse is drowning and I've got to summon the strength or the ability to do all of these things. Well, I'm only one person. So then it starts to become real attractive to figure out how can I extend trust to another person to help yeah. me with this so that I can work through what I'm doing. Yeah. Trust-inspired leaders are always doing a lot, but they're, it's the whole idea of magnifying your calling, your position. magnifying other people in the process this gives you a system the the, the intent of this book is to give you a framework for these all sound nice how can i do this in the context of my day-to-day how can i get better at extending trust to people how can i learn how to proactively choose to inspire people um, in small ways uh because again that that looks that looks great yeah
0: all right david Elder Casperson, we've come a long way from that apartment in East Sacramento. Man, <laughs> You times. actually figured it out. You did something with your life. You know, I wasn't sure for, for a Well, I mean, we'll, we'll
1: see. It's only been, this This book's only been out a couple of weeks. Yeah, so. we'll
0: see. Well, Wall Street Journal, come on. That's I mean, a good start. They don't let anybody on that list. So, um, well, I hope people go check it out. And like I mentioned, like if there was, you know, I, I read a lot of books, interview a lot of authors. And if there's just like one book, I'm like, here, just read this book. If you can only read about this book, just read this book. You know, there's others I consider like Liz Wiseman's multipliers and, you know, some of, uh, Stephen Archivey stuff, but this one is like just such a good, just read this and you'll, you'll be inspired of maybe a next step, some things you can do. And so people should check it out. Yeah. Right? You
1: you get this right. Um, and it, it gives you, buys you some leeway to figure out the other stuff. Yeah. So you got to figure out that stuff anyways. Yeah. Um, but this is a great way to magnify immediately um, and g- help grow the people you have, the people you've been given opportunity to serve um, so that you're doing all of this yeah. together.
0: So Amazon, obviously, is selling it. Yeah, Amazon. Air- airport bookstores, airport as book you stores.
1: know. <laughs> if we make it real big, we'll hit uh, Desiree Book. I don't know. what will see Maybe. about that.
0: I'm sure it. it'll be in desert, Book. um, and anything else other than just checking out the book, if you want to learn more about, uh, you know, Stephen, MR, Covey's and your, your good work, uh, where would you send them? Uh, Franklin
1: Covey, uh, our, our, our company has uh, great resources. Uh, speed of has some good stuff. Trust is brand new. I think it's mostly a landing page right now, okay. but, um, <laughs> you know, really check out the book. There's, there's, uh, we didn't hold anything back. This was, this was not done with the intent of, um, you know, if we get people to read the book, then we'll get, you know, yeah, some good stuff happening. You can do a lot of great stuff yeah. um with this. It's a great way to get started. Uh and really where I'd tell people to go is the, the leading leading saints.
0: Oh yeah, you just I mean, start there and it, then you'll figure it out.
1: <laughs> it's just got so much. Oh, go
0: on, go so on. So
1: much good stuff, it's a library. I mean, you've got to find Trust Inspire here, you'll find all right.
0: the Let's just say Wall Street Journal hasn't called me yet. So, <laughs> um, awesome. The last question I have for you is just on your journey as uh, one of the co-authors of this book, being guided through these principles, having to sit down and articulate them, type them out. How has this process, um, Helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ. Um,
1: for me, my the reason I got to be a co-author on this in the first place, I kind of saw myself as almost a patient zero um, in this. I, I was the recipient, more than anything, hmm. of of this kind of um, somebody leading me in this way. Um, and I've been the recipient of this, being led this way. You know, is as a youth. Um, I've been the recipient in my, in my work, working with Stephen. I've been the recipient of this kind of leadership, um, from the savior, uh, from my spouse. Um, it's interesting. We spent six years writing this book. Uh, and for all the knowledge that I have, you know, you, you kind of come into it thinking you have to offer and to give because of what you've seen, mm-hmm. where it really comes alive, um, is in what you start to do you know i i'm i'm a i'm as much a patient in this as um anybody else the biggest barrier we've had this question asked the biggest barrier to becoming a trust inspired leader tends to be the fact that we think we already are one hmm. um and i think the biggest barrier um to really embracing discipleship discipleship of, of the savior is sometimes especially if we're put in the leadership calling same same seat i added i sat in writing this book thinking okay i've, I've gotta offer what i've learned to share here and to give, um, sometimes we lose track of, um, the things that we need to be doing. So, you know, it took six years to write this book two years ago. Uh, I really started to dig into this for a person or for myself as a person, totally changed my marriage. Hmm. Um, and I found the same thing to be true, uh, with following the savior. You know, I, it's a missionary or is in, in a leadership calling. It's really easy to spend a lot of your time, you know, ministering and and, and, sharing f- things you feel guided and directed to, sh- to share, most of the magic really happens um, in your time spent deliberately trying to grow closer to the Savior. Um, I can't tell you how much, how much I've looked at you know, callings I've had or opportunities where I've had where I've tried so hard to do a good at the job at the calling, and then I've just completely let dwindle um, my own personal efforts at drawing closer to the Savior, where being a disciple of Jesus Christ, Being better at that will automatically magnify all of my abilities to do everything else I'm doing. So um, I go back to just doubling down your own efforts on drawing closer to the savior, living the way that you would tell other people to live consistently.
0: any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, go to leadingsaintsorg slash 14 to access our full Liberating Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the and only true and living Church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership, from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.